Main Street to Wall Street, global business celebrity and former Fortune 100 C-suite executive Jeffrey Hazlett takes you inside the good, the bad, and the ugly of businesses today. Saddle up. It's time for All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Everybody finding new customers while keeping current customers happy is a problem as old as business itself. These days, companies of all sizes face stiff competition, not only in their industries, but tech titans like Amazon and Google are in the business now. Today's guest says this challenge also creates opportunity. You just have to know where to look for it. Jonathan Burns is a senior lecturer at MIT. He also co-authored the recent book, Choose Your Customer, How to Compete Against Digital Giants and Thrive. Jonathan, welcome to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett. Well, thank you very much, Jeffrey. I appreciate it. And it's really a privilege to be on with you. Well, thank you so much. Now, in your book, you outline what you call the three essential management steps. You need to succeed in starting uh, with choose your customer. How do you do that? As you say, there are three steps. The most important one is to choose the right customers. If you choose to go head on with Amazon, and you may not be able to survive, but Amazon actually has a strategy of going after relatively small customers with arm's length services. So that leaves an enormous playing field for other companies. And the second step is to, once you've chosen your strategy, the second step is to focus your resources. If they're scattered going after customers that are going to migrate to Amazon, then you can't get a beachhead in a higher service business and make more money. And the third is to manage the transition. So with those three steps, you can transition from being everything to everyone to a new world in which you've got to really position very carefully and very crisply. And again, Amazon and the digitals have taken, interestingly, the small customer business, which for most companies is just a pain in the neck. And they really have focused on their bigger customers. And they've taken that and turned it into a science and subjected it to continuous improvement. I have probably over 200 of my MIT alumni working at Amazon, including the number two person and several people who run whole businesses. I watch it very carefully. And I think it's very hard to go up head to head against them unless you're Target or Walmart, which they can do and have done well. But that leaves an enormous open playing field to go after customers who want to partner with somebody with higher services. And I think that's the moral of the story. There are ways to figure out who those customers are and what they want. And the book is all about how to do that. Based on 10 years of experience, helping companies position against the tech giants and also helping the tech giants to position against others. In the book, you you say that we move from an age of mass markets to an age of diverse markets. What's the difference and what's changed? I refer to this, quite frankly, as segments of one. That I said years ago when I was chief marketing officer of Eastman Kodak, it wasn't about being able to market in a shotgun approach like we used to do with broadcast and a great, a great deal. But to be able to take that data, as Amazon does, and really get it down to that individual, the behaviors, the kinds of areas, those niche markets they do. Is that what you're talking about? That's right. That's right. In the age of mass markets, which took place roughly in the prior century, started with the advent of transportation economies of scale, markets began to integrate. And the key to success in that world, as Kodak would show, is that you had to get big. 
once you got big, you had economies of scale, you could lower your price, you could get more volume. That was the name of the game. So that meant that you had two key things that you had to get done right. Number one, you had to maximize your revenues. And number two, you had to minimize your costs. And that was the way the companies were set up. And it was the age of generals, General Motors, General Mills, General Dynamics, and so on and so forth. General Electric, don't forget those guys too. Well, and you can see what GE has done and J&J and the rest of them. What changed was the advent of the digital age, which started in the 1980s, 1990s, and has gone accelerated now. So companies like Amazon, and interestingly, in the very early days, and I know the people who were in with Jeff Bezos starting it, it wasn't really a digital play. It was an inventory play. People couldn't keep enough inventory in little bookstores to keep people interested. So he centralized inventory and sent it out on the internet and then discovered that the internet was the name of the game. And, you know, the rest is history. It was, you know, it was a brilliant move. So what happened there is that these companies gathered millions of customers and they created algorithms before artificial intelligence really had been developed very much, machine learning back in the 1990s, at 2000. And they used that to target customers very, very precisely. If you bought this, you're probably going to want this. If you bought that, you're probably going to want that. But by necessity, because they were on the internet, they didn't give services beyond information-rich services. My wife ordered something from Amazon, I think, two days ago. She walked in and she said, that was the easiest thing I've ever done. It took five seconds. And she bought uh, you know, something that she otherwise would go to the grocery store for. Here in Lexington, we have two-hour delivery of almost anything. I mean, it's really remarkable. It takes two hours to drive to the grocery store and back, you know, let alone shopping. So what those, what those companies did, and especially Amazon, is they really nailed the small customer market. So the question is, what do you do when you're losing your broad market? How do you focus on the higher service? And it turns out that a really, really critical thing is the way that profits are measured which a lot of the book deals with. In the age of mass markets, you really only needed three things, revenues, gross margins, part of revenues, costs, and subtraction equals net profit. Today, you've got a lot of different segments. When you get into higher service, you've got one relationship with this customer, another one with that customer, and you have different relationships with different segments of the market. Each of those has a different point. It was kind of all the same. You bought the Kodak brownie. Was that what it was, if I remember right? And, you know, yep. the little yellow film, and it was the same price no matter where you went. If you're doing vendor-managed inventory in a hospital and another hospital's doing delivery to the uh, receiving dock, if completely different cost structures. You need different pricing. When we looked at that really carefully, starting in the 1980s, late 1980s, um, in the hospital supply industry, we figured out that you really had to do a full P&L on every transaction. Not only every customer, but every time somebody bought something, every single invoice line. And you know, as computer power increased and data capabilities increased, we are now able, we are the software company that does this called Profit Isle. And we're able to do a full PL on every transaction of a, you know, I think we just did a $10 billion company. We did it in about two weeks. In two weeks, we were in the boardroom showing them exactly where they were making money. But customers across the board, we found that over 200% of their, co- their 
profits were coming from 3% of the customers that were ordering over a certain dollar amount. And so you bring it back to the salespeople and say, why don't you do this? And why don't you provide these services? So that's called enterprise profit management. And our company, Profit Isle, does the P&Ls that allow that to happen. So with that, you can move into the more fragmented, diverse markets, and you can choose your customers, which ones do you want to link with, which ones do you not want to link with, you know, and then focus your resources on that manage the transition. And the companies that have done that have been incredibly successful. And you're not in a situation where Amazon rolls over in bed and three industries disappear. They're Apple. I mean, you know what the iPhone, what the iPhone did to Kodak. Exactly. So let me take a quick break. We're going to come right back. I want to talk about rationalizing those SKUs because that's what you're at. I can remember we had 400,000 so SKUs. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back after this message. C-Suite Radio. I'm talking with Dr. Jonathan uh, Barnes, and he is a senior lecturer at MIT. He's also co-author of the recent book, Choose Your Customer, How to Compete Against the Digital Giants and Thrive. And so we're talking about rationalization and data, which you, you know is an important thing that you can have today. I was like Mohawk Industries. For those who don't know, that's a new publicly traded company. And they actually come in there, look across Amazon, look across Walmart, they're finding out the best SKUs that they're being ordered today by those particular products. Let's say it's like a little dorm refrigerator or some appliance, and then they go out and start making it. Now, many times they buy it from the person who's selling it on Amazon, but they just do a better job marketing it, Jonathan. And so they're getting, I mean, they're in the multi-millions of growth in that company by finding how to do it a little bit different than the way the traditional seller has. Do you see a lot of that going on? Absolutely. Actually, that's Amazon's game. I was on the board of a big industrial supply company, a $3 billion New York Stock Exchange company, and Amazon wanted to represent us. They wanted us to put all our, I think we have, what, about 10,000 SKUs. They wanted us to put it on Amazon. And you know, very quickly, we figured out, well, they're going to figure out, first, they have all our product specs. Second, they have all our customers. And third, they're going to figure out where the profits are, and they're going to private label it. And then maybe they'll get it from Mohawk, but you know that's basically what Amazon does. And they did it with Zappos and a number of other companies. What I'm saying is the companies who make a fortune, even in the presence of Amazon, are very thoughtful about the way that they position and they create service links with their larger customers or sometimes smaller, medium-sized customers, which are very interpersonal, things like vendor-managed inventory, things like joint category management things like product co-design. Um, at one point, GE Plastics, when it was part of GE, had teams of engineers at Ford figuring out how to design plastic into the, into the cars. P&G and Walmart is an example of that, the uh, relationship that they had. And when you form those ties, you're almost invulnerable and you create more and more value when you go into businesses together. And that's the way that you succeed in this world. Most companies that have a heritage from the mass market age that we talked about earlier, and most executives who grew up in that era, as opposed to the millennials who grew up in our digital era, but most of the people in, in my generation, certainly, you know, who grew up in the mass market era don't want to let go of any customers. Yeah. So typically, companies are sitting with a portfolio of find the same pattern in every company that we look at. 10% of the, cust of the customers and products are bringing in 
150 to 200% of the products, profits, excuse me, and 20% of the customers are eroding half or more of that amount. And then 50% of the customers are doing nothing. It's typically customers that should go over to Amazon. They're doing nothing and they're taking half the resources of the company, killing the ROI, return on investment. So what do you want to do? You want to focus on your what we call profit peaks and send teams, multi-capability teams into work hand in hand with them, building business, building barriers to entry, building economies of scope. Secondly, you want to take your profit drains and have another set of multi-capability teams that are like bank workout groups. I did a lot of work in the financial services industry prior periods, and they had very, very powerful workout teams. You want to go in. Most of the problems with unprofitable customers have nothing to do with pricing. I'll tell you flatly. They're doing things in operations that are costing a fortune. They're ordering every day. They're, they have a bad product mix. Things that are very easy, and it's a win-win for both the customer and supplier. So you want to keep those. And then your small customers, you basically want to automate. That's where you want to do your digital transformation. And if 20 or 30% of those customers migrate over to Amazon, you say, thank goodness. And you don't say, how much money can I spend to try to keep them? Because they're using resources and not doing anything. So without this enterprise profit management with transaction level P&Ls, you can't precisely implement that strategy of figuring out what's good, what's bad, what's fixable, and where can we go and how do we grow in a way that gives us sustainable profit growth. And that's what the companies that are succeeding today are doing. And most of the ones that are in trouble are clinging to the old ways of doing things and saying, why isn't it working? Why doesn't it work? And well, and like get, getting back, they're all wanting every customer and they're thinking every customer is a good customer. And that's not the case. You got to find those whales. You know, you get beyond the Pareto principle and really find that top end. As you said, that 10% that's giving you 150, 200% of your profit. The, the question is whether the customer fits. They can be good, you know, they can be wonderful customers for Amazon and not fit me. Right. And my customers would not fit Amazon. Studies in, of industrial organization economics, where you look at the profitability of industries, by far the most profitable industries do not have one winner. They have a relatively small group of companies that are all doing slightly different theme and variation things, and they're all making a ton of money and they're not killing each other. And that's the way that you win in business. C-Suite Radio. You mentioned in the book, you used an example of a furniture company that had what you yeah. called forced intervention. <laughs> what did that company learn and what did it change? Well, in furniture, people make all their money on mattresses. You go into any furniture retailer and all the money's in mattresses. Sometimes two and 300% of the profits are in mattresses. You know, if you sell a picture on the wall or a dining room set, dining room sets are moderately profitable. Pictures on the wall and lamps, you lose a fortune because you have to handle them. So this company was getting eaten alive by Sleepies and Casper and, you know, mattress in a box. They were losing the source of their cross subsidy. So they didn't know what to do. So we actually went in and worked with them and we did, you know, we looked in enterprise profit management study, which took about a week or two. It was very, very quick. They had good data. They had a core of very, very loyal customers who really loved the company. They got there through friends and family referrals and they referred their friends and family. Then they had a bunch of other, those were the profit peaks. And they were buying mattresses there and, you know, a variety of things. 
And then you have the profit drains where basically customers that went over to this company that had great service, picked out their mattress and went to Sleepy's and bought it with a discount or came back to this company and said, match the price, which is what they usually did. And so the company would have to match the price and that's where they were losing all their money. And they had a lot of small customers. So they did two things. Number one, they focused intensely on these profit peak customers, figured out where they live, who they were, and what their key buying decisions were like. And then they went out and they scouted for more that had those characteristics, not just big customers, but the right big customers. Secondly, they figured out very quickly that they like private label. You know, when they were buying mattresses, they wanted Tempur-Pedic or they wanted Sealy. But when they were buying wooden dining room sets, they were very happy to have the store brand because they didn't really know the difference. And some of the furniture, stickly and that sort of thing, people knew. Most people had just basically said, if this guy is selling it, it's pretty good. We trust him. And so they built their whole business around that and they doubled their profit within a year. And they doubled the number of stores. By going after the customers who wanted this higher service, they were willing to pay, they were willing to be loyal, they knew what they looked like, and they went after them. A very interesting thing happened. We had a meeting with all their managers and the head of the drivers, I think drivers, you know, they just drive and carry furniture. He said, well, here's what we could do. About a third of our drivers are really, really good with customers. And we have them driving with everybody else out through the traffic in the city. You know, the, the cities have a lot of traffic and delivering furniture. We're going to take our, our master drivers, we'll call them master drivers, and we're going to station them in the neighborhoods of our Profit Peak customers. And the other drivers will shuttle trucks out to them and they'll do all the in, in-house deliveries and they'll scout for furniture that we need, that, that the customer needs. In many cases, if we're sending out a sofa, we'll send out the compliments, a lamp and a this and a that. And when they bring in the sofa, they'll bring in the other things and say, you know, it's on sale. Do you want it? And they were making more money for the company. They gave them sales numbers. They were making more money from the for the company than the salespeople were. And so even operations in the right mode can be a real customer service bonus. And that's the whole point. You have to really rethink the company out of the box of this broad, everything to everybody, all the same way of doing business. Everybody's important because every dollar gets us economies of scale, mass markets too. We're going to figure out who the customer should be. We're going to give them exactly what they want and frame our resources to do it. And then we're going to manage the transition. By the way, what happened and very often happens is that these profit peak customers who they can now recognize because we fed this information to their sales force. So when a profit peak customer came in, they knew immediately they got the phone number and they knew who it was. When a profit drain customer came in, these are the bad ones. You know, they were going to go over to Casper and, you know, comparison shop and come back, you know, and they said, no, we're not going to do it. 80% of them wound up coming back because they liked the service. They just wanted to see if they could get a deal. So you can make a ton of money in this Amazon, Google, Apple, Microsoft, Facebook market, but you have to be much more precise. You have to choose your customer. And that's what the book is all about. That's a game on. And I love that. That it, What a great example with furniture. It's kind of like saying, hey, you want fries with that. And a great <laughs> way to upsell with those high, price, high profit items when you're already delivering it. You already got the expense. 
A great way to do it. Jonathan, thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Everyone rush out and get this book. I'm telling you, you want to especially read about how to sell on value. That's a great, great section in the book. So choose your customer, how to compete against digital giants and thrive. And you can do that today. That's what we teach you every day at the C-Suite Network. Thanks for joining us here today. Uh, Jonathan on All Business with Jeffrey Hazel. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. Hey, at the end of every show, I like to talk about what I learned. Two things. One, get those whales. Find those whales. I've had this a couple of times. You go into business, you find that that top 10% is exactly what Dr. Burns said. Top 10% of your customers give you about 150 to 200% of your profit. Well, what are you doing? Find more people like that and or just focus on that. Get rid of the bottom 20. Just go fire them. They're costing you a ton of money. And maybe that 50% in, in between you need to move them up to get them to the profit levels of the top 10. That's what you want to look at. And I just thought with that, and the other thing I thought was, hey, do you want fries with that? We always forget about the upsell. We always forget about the add-ons. And one of the things I always do in the business is when I'm quoting consulting services and things that I do from time to time, I give them a good, a better, and a best price. So I give them some other options to upsell what I would normally do. There you go. That's what I learned right here in All Business. I hope you learned something too. And don't forget, tell your friends all about All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett right here on C-Suite Radio. You're listening to All Business with Jeffrey Hazlett, brought to you by C-Suite Radio, a podcast network featuring today's top business experts and is part of the C-Suite Network, the world's most trusted network of C-Suite executives. Find this and other business podcasts on c-suiteradio.com. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.